I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 26 in verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to one another, Surely you do not mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him not to have been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to him, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with my in my Father's kingdom. Then they sung a hymn as they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now the traditional calendar for the events of our Lord's Supper look like this. Sunday, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday. The kids, they were laying down palm branches. They were shouting and hallelujah. And then Monday, the cleansing of the temple. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. That cleansing of the temple. And then Tuesday, the controversies with the Jewish leaders. Now, Wednesday, apparently was a day of rest and personal time. Now, my personal opinion it's not recorded in the Bible. This is my opinion. It was time with this mother and his family and his brothers. I, if I only had a short time, I would have spent some time with mom. But we're not told. We don't need to be told. Thursday was the preparation for Passover. Friday, the trial and crucifixion. Then Saturday, Jesus rests in the tomb. And Sunday, he's raised from the tomb and the tomb is empty. That's our traditional understanding of this events. We sitting here today need to keep in mind that the Jewish day runs from sundown to sundown when we're putting these items in order. So that our Thursday evening would be their Friday. To this day, they still run sundown to sundown. See, their Thursday evening would be the Friday day of Passover. Accounts of the Last Supper make it sound like a light snack. A last snack. This event is what you and I will explore today from God's Holy Word as we look at what happened that night. Each year, I'm on the sidebar here, each year I try to give you a new part of the Passover meal. There's so much happening this week. I picked communion instead of the triumphal entry this year because I already had the triumphal entry written up and God made me tear it up. So you're getting, you're getting the actual meal. Do you, and hear this out. This is part of the reason. Do you ever 
feel that you've only heard part of the story here? It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? You wonder what else might have gone on and what have you missed? That's what's happening when we read the accounts of the Last Supper. It doesn't matter if it's one of the accounts of the four Gospels or the first Corinthians. We only hear the small snippet of what went on in that event. It would be like summing up a Christmas day here in America at your house in a few sentences. Some of the stuff is bound to get left out. Now let's try that. Well, the kids woke up early and snuck out in the living room and opened up their stockings even though they weren't supposed to. And then they got us up and we all went in the living room and sat around the tree and mom passed out the gifts, the presents. And everybody opened their gift. And after that, we all got our showers and we got ready for the day and we put on Christmas dinner, turkey dressing, potatoes, carrots, sweet potatoes, and a wonderful apple pie. And with some ice cream on top, of course. After dinner, we cleaned up, watched TV, and went to bed. Now, sure, that that's what happened, but that isn't all that happened on Christmas Day. You know, when you're getting just a snippet. Now, many of you sitting here today have experienced the Passover given and explained by the Jews for Jesus organization. And, and in today's sermon, you'll be able to draw from that experience as we go through today's message. If you've never experienced this wonderful ministry, I encourage you to YouTube them, or you can go to their webpage, and you can experience the Passover through the Jewish eye. And it would be, a, you'd, your, your Easter season would be blessed if you just did it. I promise you. I promise you, it would bless you this year. And so it is with the story of the Last Supper. From all the accounts, we sitting here today can read, it wasn't a supper, it was a simple snack. With some bread and some wine and a conversation. Hardly even a lunch. But in reality, the reality is what we're reading here today highlights the meal. Remember the question the apostles ask in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? And... For them, the Passover meal was every bit as important as a Christmas dinner is for us. Or a Thanksgiving dinner. It it was the main dinner of all the year. It wasn't a snack. It wasn't a lunch. It was an entire meal that had been planned well in advance. Anybody in here had planned their Christmas meal that morning when they get up? No, you got it planned well in advance. It happened the same way every year. And it's happened the same way every year for the Jewish people to this very day. 
Now, for the original readers of the book of Matthew, they understood all the things that weren't spelled out. They could fill in the blanks. And we are looking back 2,000 years through the perspective of a different culture, so we miss the blanks. We think of the Last Supper as being comprised of bread and wine, and those are the only elements in the meal. Actually, the meal was roasted lamb and all that went with it. Though, all... Some of you would ask, did they have mint jelly back then? I have no clue. We're, we're, they, but they had roasted, this is a full roasted lamb meal. We only hit the highlights here. It's first mentioned in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. as a, This is a day to remember. And each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate... It is a special day of the Lord. It's the law for all time for the Jews. And then it is spelled out both, if you want to read out the long, drawn-out record of it, you can read it out in Leviticus or in the book of Numbers. Listen to Numbers chapter, book of Numbers chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Tell the Israelites to celebrate the Passover as prescribed times, at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Be sure to follow all my decrees and regulations concerning this celebration. This was the beginning of the Passover celebration and the festival of unleavened bread. Each year, the Jews would come to remember how God had delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. The story is told First in the book of Exodus, and then it comes to a point, a climax, when the Israelites fled from the, as slaves from Egypt and began a journey that would last 40 years and would cultivate in the promised land. And the celebration of that story took the same form every year for Jews all over the world. And so, that we, we sitting here can know what happened that day, and the, and the Jews can know what happened that day in the upstairs room in Bethany, in the community of Israel, Jerusalem, we're going to go cover it. Our morning service is going to be a little bit different, because we're going to blend our preaching with the communion that you just had that you just partook of. And we're going to take this journey through what happened on that evening and what it means to us 2,000 years later. Now, here's a painting of Last Supper. It is a lot bigger than you think. Countless reproductions have been made of it. It is 15 foot by 29 feet. And actually, very little of Michelangelo's work is left on the wall because over the years they've had to have it reproduced, reproduced, reproduced. The painting is a 13th century dinner setting about dinner in Jesus' time. And I've showed you the actual picture of the wall because I'm going to show you something. 
in, see this door here? That's an actual door. And that was cut in in the year 1652. They did a renovation to put a door right through Jesus' feet. Do you ever see it out on the pictures that you get at home? If you go see the real picture, it's got a door right through his feet. Actually, that's a great idea, but they ruined Michelangelo's picture by putting a door through it. Although, now, here's a trick for you, a bit of trivia for you trivia lovers. Although it's painted on a wall, it is not a fresco. Leonardo da Vinci invented his own technique for his painting. It was not a fresco, because frescoes you do in plaster, and you got to have it dry before the plaster. He came with a whole brand new technique for this. And think about this. Now, how many of you knew that they put a door right through Jesus' feet? Ever seen the door before? Because when you see the picture, they always just draw on his feet. If you go see the real thing, there's a door there. How would you like to be the person in 1600s put a door there? You know what they do now to you if you tried to do that? But this is not how they had dinner. This is how Leonardo da Vinci pictured it. We're told that the 13 would have been reclining around a low table. Something that Leonardo da Vinci was obviously not aware of when he painted the Last Supper. Because he was not a Jew. He painted a supper as he understood a supper. People try to make all sorts of stuff out of it. He painted it as he knew a dinner. But they actually did it different. The reason the Jewish people reclined at the Passover meal is a celebration of their freedom. When the Jews were in Egypt, they were slaves under control and command of the Egyptian masters. There was no time for relaxing. So, there was no time to lay around. Now they're free, and they could take their time eating this meal. So Jesus and the twelve would have reclined around the low table that had been prepared for them for the meal. They would have laid on their left side and used the right hand for eating. And Jesus, being the leader of the group, would have lifted the first of the four glasses that were part of this celebration. In this case, it's the cup of Kadesh. Kadesh means sanctification or separation. And these glasses of wine were symbolic and were divided among all those who sat at the table. This was and is to this day an act and it has separated this meal from all other common meals. It wasn't so much about drinking the cup as it was the blessing that was made before the first sip was ever taken. Now the blessing was in Hebrew 2,000 years ago. And it remains that way in every Passover meal. It has to be said in Hebrew. My Hebrew's terrible. So we're going to do it in English for you. Okay? You would hold up a cup. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. To those of us from 
all the nations and elevated above all the tongues and sanctified us with his commandments. You gave us, Lord, our God, with love, Sabbaths for rest and festivals for happiness, holidays and times for joy, the day and the time of our freedom, a holy convocation in remembrance of the time of the exodus from Egypt. Because you chose us and sanctified us from all the nations and your holy festivals and your happiness and your joy, you have given us a as a heritage. Blessed are you, God, who sanctifies the Sabbath and Israel and the holiday season. Now, it does sound much better in Hebrew, but I can't do it in Hebrew. After the blessing, Jesus would have taken a sip and of that cup and then handed it to the next one in the group. Each man took a sip of that cup. And as they took that sip, they were saying they understood this was a special time. Now, Jesus would have washed his hands in preparation for leading the twelve through the different elements of the meal. This was an important step in the process because we are told to fail to do this. In the Jewish eyes, was not to be guilty of bad manners, not to be guilty of being dirty in a healthy sense. To not properly wash your hands was to be unclean before God. And so there was a whole long process of washing the hands. I mean, it was long. And we sitting here today need to remember it is about symbolism. And so a bowl of salt water was passed along the group with parsley after the hand washing. And a spring of parsley would be dipped in the salt water and it would be eaten. The parsley would it was it was to remind them of the hyssop that was used to mark the doors on the original Passover. They marked it with the blood of the lamb. See, those doors of the Israelites in Egypt, the blood of the Passover lamb and the salt water was to remind them of the tears of the Egyptians that day long ago when the Red Sea parted. And allowed them to escape with Pharaoh's army. And this, and that's here when we come to the, the, the first familiar element. Our first familiar element of us sitting here today of our communion celebration. The unleavened bread. Jesus would have lifted a piece of the unleavened bread, unbroken at that time, and blessed it with these words. Now, in English again, I'm not doing Hebrew, right? Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then he who has broken the bread and he who is just tearing up the bread. So everyone got a piece. Remember, it's about symbolism. The bread was known as the bread of affliction. 
And it was to remind the Jews of the hardship of Egypt. And they were given a small portion to remind them that when their forefathers were slaves, they never had a whole loaf to eat. See, that is why the bread's broken. They never had a whole loaf to eat. They got only the crusts. And it's at this point in the festival that we read Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and gave pieces to them of the disciples, saying, Take this and eat, for this is my body. Now, in the account of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and 24, it says, On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took some of the bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke the pieces, for this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I wonder if Jesus, as he picked up that bread, now picture this in your mind. Jesus reaches forward and picks up that bread. If he thought back to the words of the prophets, prophet Elijah, had written about the coming Messiah. Those words have been written about him. Isaiah 53, verses 3-5, told all that he was to be despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. And it says in there, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet in our weakness, he carried. It was in our sorrows that weighted him down. And though his troubles were punishment from God, the punishment was for our own sins. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. We sitting here today need to remember Jesus came to fulfill God's plans for yours and my redemption. Forgiveness is at the foot of the cross. He had to suffer it all that we might be adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. The book of Matthew chapter 27 verse 26 we're told, So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with leb-tip whips and then he turned them over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So as Jesus held that bread that night, he would have looked down at that hard bread marked with stripes from the baking process and said, here is my body which is broken for you. Jesus asked his apostles to remember him. He was asking them to look back at the time when they had spent together and to remember the past. He was also asking them to remember the things that were yet to come. To remember how he would be willingly offer up his body 
and his life as a sacrifice, not only for them, but for us sitting here today. 2,000 years ago, Jesus surrendered his life for each of you. The Bible reminds us that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God showing his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, this is not all the ritual. The ritual continues. If you, you sidebar here, if you've never seen Jews for Jesus, you know the the Passover meal, you really need to watch it because it really they bring it out quite well. The ritual continues in the story of deliverance is told by the youngest member in the group. Normally a child, a child would ask what made this different from all other days. Whatever the year, that's the question they ask. And why are we celebrating? Perhaps, maybe it was Nathaniel or Philip, they were kind of the youngest, but the youngest person there had to ask the question. And Jesus would have retold the story of Exodus. And so, the Passover has played an essential role in preserving the history of God's deliverance. It always, it's always a time to remember the power and mercy of God. We do that every time we gather here on Sunday. It's a time of remembering what God has done for us. The promise that Jesus not only delivers us from sin, but also provides a way through the tough times. Although the way may not always be easy, he will always be with us. The question is, will we always choose to be with him? God's promises to us the same today as it was almost 3,000 years ago when he said to the, to the prophet Isaiah, and it's verse chapter 43, verse 2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. I like that. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. I like that. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not burn up. The flames will not consume you. Now, when most of us think of Jesus, we think of him preaching or teaching. But if you are like me, you very seldom think of him singing or leading singing. Of course, I'm not a singer, so if you're singers, you might think of that, right? But how many of you really think of him leading singing for the group? And yet singing was an integral part of Jewish faith. Remembering, there's an entire book. Now remember this, there's an entire book of the Bible that we think of as poetry today, which that the Jews used as a songbook. That love and music is carried over into Christianity. 
Paul told the early church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, we are told that traditionally, there are a number of psalms called the Hail that were sung during the Passover feast. And presumably, since Jesus was the leader, he would have led them in singing. That's what the leader did. He had to lead them in singing. To not have done that would have been unheard of. And at this this point in the celebration of that night, that they would have sung the entire 113th Psalm and the 114th Psalm were sung. At that point, you can open up and sing them today. That's what our Savior would have led him. To this day, they are part of the Passover dinner. Now, we're not going to sing them, but I'm going to read to you the very beginning of the 113th Psalm. Now, picture it with music. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, His servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Lift the name of the Lord and be praised, now and evermore. For the rising of the sun to place where it sets, and the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. He who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Can you picture that singing as a song? It's a beautiful song. The second cup of wine was drunk at this point. It is called the Hegada, which means or exclaims proclamation. It means exclaiming or proclamation. And everyone washed their hands again in preparation for the meal. Remember, now, hear this out. Remember the story of Jesus turning the water to wine at the wedding of Canaan? Do you remember where he got the water to turn to wine? It's John chapter 2, verse 6, if you want to check it out. Standing nearby were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. They each held 20 to 30 gallons. When they did these meals, they went through a lot of water. Jesus would have said another blessing at this moment. And more unleavened bread would have been distributed. This time, it would not have been eaten by itself. Remember, this is all about symbolism. The the table, there were two more bowls. One contained a mixture of bitter herbs to remind them of eating the bitterness of slavery. And the second contained a paste called keroshiet. It's a mixture of apples, dates, pomegranates, and nuts. And this was to help them remember the clay that their forefathers used to have to make bricks 
in Egypt with. Actually, it tastes really good. The bitter herbs were placed between two pieces of unleavened bread and then dipped in the kerosene and then they ate it. And then the meal began. All this happened to get to the meal. So, remember this is a roasted lamb dinner and it was not to be hurried through. And although it, it, it was to be eaten as a free man and woman, by Jewish regulation, all the lamb had to be eaten. And anything that was left had to be thrown out. Nothing was allowed to be saved. There were no leftovers. There was no lamb sandwiches, no lamb casseroles. It all had to be eaten. And when the meal was finished, they would have washed their hands again. No forks, remember. They would have eaten with their lamb with their fingers and knives. And, and the last of the unleavened bread was eaten. As the meal wound down, there would have been one more prayer of thanksgiving. This time to thank God for delivering the people of Israel in the past, but also looking forward to its deliverance through the future, through the coming Messiah. In this prayer, they would have asked Elijah to come and announce the coming Messiah. And I'm sure this sparked some controversy and debate around their table. And I, I really wonder how Jesus felt at knowing that he was already there. That tradition is carried over to our communion celebration. As God's people, we no longer look for the coming Messiah, but instead we're looking forward to him coming again. First time he came in peace, next time he's coming on a war horse. In Paul's direction to the early church, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, the third cup at this moment was passed around. And then they finished singing. The, the next hala they sang was Psalms 117. So they sang the whole Psalms 117. And then they went to Psalms 118. And it's still done to this day. And it says, praise you all the people of the earth, for he loves us unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever, praise the Lord. This is now when Jesus lifted the fourth and final cup. In the book of Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, we are told Jesus took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God, and he gave it to them saying, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink it again until I come anew to you in my Father's kingdom. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus would have blessed that cup in praying. Blessed are you, Lord, pardon me, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Then he explained how the blood of the Passover lamb had saved them from Israel. 
This is a long meal, guys. Now, spilling of the blood had cleansed those who had been adopted from their sins and who accepted their sins. And 2,000 years ago, Christ told his disciples, do not forget me. Do not forget what I have done. Whatever you do, remember me, what I've done. It was after that cup of wine and after giving thanks, he gave them this. This is this cup represents the new covenant of my blood. When we drink communion, we remember the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you and me for our eternal salvation. Whenever you drink of it, you remember him. We are a resurrection religion. And so the story of the Last Supper concludes with these words from Matthew 26, verse 30. And they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. The hymn was is not named. But remember, the original audience, didn't. it didn't have to be. They all knew that you closed the Passover meal with Psalms 136. To this day, it's closed with Psalms 136. You should read it this Easter. And the theme of that psalm is summed up in the last verse, where David writes, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. We sitting here today need to remember that there's forgiveness at the cross. None of you have ever screwed up anything in your life, right? None of you have ever made a mistake. We all have. But he loved us so much that he wanted to adopt us. He didn't just invite us there as servants. On this side of heaven, we will never understand this. We are not going to heaven to work. We're not going there to be slaves and servants. We're going there to be adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God with perfect bodies that can run forever. That can jump that can have joy. That there's no more depression, no more challenges, no more temptation. No evil will be there. What a day that will be. Okay, I don't know about you. I don't have to eat food to gain weight. I can just look at it. I won't have to worry what I eat. And I make joke of that, but I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this home. We will be adopted sons and daughters. And on this side of heaven, I cannot even fathom what that means. We have full rights of sonship and daughterhood. We're not going there as a servant. We're going there as an adopted son and daughter. Chosen, wanted, desired, paid for in advance. So now we're going to close with the prayer and then we'll do a closing hymn and then there's some wonderful goodies out there. But as you go through this celebration, maybe take a look at some of those psalms that they sang. Especially those of you who are singers. They're wonderful. My Hebrew would not do any justice to it. But they're wonderful when you pause through and sing them. Let's close. Our Heavenly Father... You have paid the price for us. You made a new covenant. We're not bound under the laws anymore. 
We're not bound by the blood of goats and lambs. Our sin has been paid for. Our forgiveness is at the cross. We don't have to ask for it time and time again. We've been given it. So bless us with that understanding. Help us to understand that you want us, that you desire us, that you have sent the Lamb of God for us. And all God's people said, Amen.